0: Welcome to Central Assemblies Podcast. Here's a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, we've been talking about it. We're in a battle, the battle's real, and just like supernatural encounters, like dreams and visions and so on, I believe this battle is often overlooked because it isn't with our human eyes. We can't see the battle where the root is. It takes place in what is called the spirit realm. It's the unseen realm where the angels and the demons are at war with one another. We've talked about it last week, the angels, which we, at least what what theologians believe are two thirds versus one third. Angels are listening to the commands and the assignments of God, the creator of the universe. The demons are listening to the devil. They have a plot to steal, kill, and destroy. God has a plot for us to be so close, so intimate with him, that we have complete authority and dominion over the demonic realm. One of Jesus' assignments was to destroy the work of the devil. So then when, later on in his life, he's giving us instruction. He's saying, so as the Father has sent me, I send you. He breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Then later on, he's talking about going and making disciples for us to teach others what he taught them. So we have the same assignment. is to destroy the works of the enemy, to see God's glory cover this earth as he originally intended on it happening. It's the great privilege that we have. Though the devil is real and his demons are real and he is out to destroy our soul. So there's a battle and we need to admit it's here. I may have shared this illustration before but the the thought that comes to my mind that a lot of Christians are in is it it would be like if you put uh, two boxers in a ring and they're all suited up and so on. As soon as that bell rings, the battle's on, the fight's on whether you like it or not. So if the one boxer goes this, no, 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 no. It's not happening. How do many of you know they're going to get pummeled? I mean, just left, right, uppercut, knocked out. And I believe that that's true sometimes with believers. We're laying on the ground saying, what in the world just happened to me over these last couple of weeks? It's because we forgot we're, we're in a battle. You just weren't fighting. And as we've sung before, we don't fight our battles in aggression with our anger. We don't fight battles. It says that we have spiritual weapons of warfare. So we're not fighting men carnally. We're not using judgment and criticism and division and anger and hatred. That's not gonna get us anywhere. In fact, the devil will say, go ahead and keep fighting like that, because I'm winning. So he's given us spiritual weapons. So when I say fight, I don't mean all just you know, wailing your arms. Sometimes it's just standing. Sometimes it's sitting in his presence long enough until that peace does come. Sometimes it's worshiping, sometimes it's praying. Every single time it's putting on the breastplate of righteousness, which we're gonna talk about today. We talked about the belt of truth last week. We're gonna go into the uh, breastplate of righteousness. I'm gonna reread these verses most likely every week from Ephesians chapter six. out of the new international version of of our launching point for why we're preaching through this message. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So the command here by Paul is to be strong. God never intended for there to be a weakling Christian. Regardless if you're soft-hearted or if you're compassionate and quiet, the command is still to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It says, put on the full armor of God. Again, Paul never wanted you to come out you know, with, with just your belt on but not your breastplate or, or your helmet but not your shield. The intention here is that the Lord would want you to put on every piece of armor and have every spiritual weapon in utilization that is available to you as a believer. So it says, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So if you're thinking about where is my battlefield, You have to look at who is your enemy. So it's not about flesh and blood. It's about, it's against rulers, against authorities and powers of this dark world in the heavenly realms. I don't know what that is. (laughs) Anyway, it says, therefore, shiny object over there. No. It says therefore put on the full armor of god so that when the day of evil comes everybody say when. when we don't live in like great expectation that it's coming we live in victory more aware of the father than our problems he's just saying it's going to come it says you'll be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything you're still standing I love the picture of that. Like in a battle where you do feel confused at times, you feel like all this stuff is happening. And I, you know, I, I picture this whole dust storm. And it's like, okay, you know, there's a fight, there's a battle happening in the spirit realm and all this dust is going on. And as the dust begins to settle and settle and settle, believers are still standing there as confident as possible. Amen? So it says to stand firm with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Then it says, in addition to all this, take up your shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Don't stop at verse 17. Verse 18 says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Remember, it's that spoken word that builds your faith. It's a spoken word that will actually move the hand of God in faith. It says, with this in mind, be alert. Be alert, be alert, and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. So like I said last week, the belt of truth, this week we're gonna look at a breastplate. Paul's using the image of a Roman soldier throughout all of this because they could, they could see that with their physical eyes. They can get a, a glimpse of what this soldier would have looked like in that time. So when he is saying these things, they're easily able to make the connection to what it means from the physical to the spiritual. So in Rome, in these times, in ancient times, I should say, the breastplate was made of these strips of metal or strips of iron that would uh, overlap one another. And then they were strapped onto the soldier with leather. So once it's strapped on, it's sturdy, it's tight, it's in place, but because of those uh, the strips of iron, they're able to move and they're flexible. So what happens is when you're being protected by the Lord, it's able to be strong, yet flexible. You're able to go through all of life's circumstances and the Lord can protect you through all those things. Now, the implication here is the breastplate is covering pretty much the entire front top half of a soldier's body. So it's gonna be very hard to be harmed by an enemy. So they would know, wait a minute, if I have this breastplate on, my natural heart and my organs, most of my organs are gonna be covered from an attack of the enemy, whether that's a sword, an arrow, whatever it is. So now they're starting to make, I believe that they can make this correlation that we can make and say, okay, there's a way that we can protect not just our physical heart, but our spiritual heart. In fact, you'll see in scripture where it's talking about love the Lord your God with all of your heart. They'll talk about guarding your heart. The theologians can argue a little bit over whether they're talking about the soul or the spirit man. And sometimes it is different. What I want you to realize is when you're hearing that word heart, it's the true you, it's who you are, it's your makeup. So it's the deepest part of who God has given you to be. So what we wanna do is think, we wanna picture this breastplate is covering my heart and my organs. So in the spiritual, the Lord wants to position me to cover my spiritual heart and my spiritual organs, I guess you could say, the functions of who you are as a Christian. Your daily life, how you live and breathe, with Jesus. So what I wanna do is go over very quickly uh, how, actually where this attack is headed so we can understand how to apply this breastplate of righteousness appropriately. So many of you know this already, we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. First Thessalonians is one verse I will share out of this today. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit Soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in that first verse, I want to look at this here, or the first sentence. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. If you're not familiar with that word sanctify, it means to dedicate to God, to set apart from God, to become more and fully devoted to God, pure in actions and in attitudes. But I want you to see something. A lot of times when you hear a message on righteousness, purity, and holiness, we think like we're outside of the Father, outside of his presence, doing all of this work ourselves. What does this verse say? What does it say? May God himself, may God himself sanctify you through and through. So the Bible, and, so, and elsewhere in scripture, the Bible is saying we are already in a place of righteousness, but we are also working out our salvation in righteousness. So though we are forgiven of all of our sins, we're standing right in front of the Father, we're at peace with God, we are still working out our salvation. So that's why in these verses, he's saying, may God himself sanctify me, set me apart, make me holier and holier, as I am called to live out his will for my life. And I like what it says here because it's talking about your spirit, your soul, and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, our Christian walk is held in tension. The moment we say yes to Jesus, we're blameless. Do you understand that? The moment we say yes to Jesus, there's nothing the devil can accuse us that God's gonna say, oh yeah, Jesus didn't die for that one sin. Yeah, he's guilty. So we're standing blameless before the Father because of the blood of Jesus. And yet these verses are saying, may God continue to sanctify you so that you can be kept blameless until the end of time. So there's a, there's a position of being blameless, pure, holy, righteous, and then there's an actual working out of keeping that so you don't get deceived by the enemy and go the wrong way. You guys all right? In 2 Corinthians five twenty one, it says... God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that we, so that in him, in Christ, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. This is where you have to understand there is a position of righteousness, and then there's an expectation to live righteously. Somebody say amen, just a little bit, or shake your head or like that you're with me. You can be held in tension like this. We are the righteousness of God in Christ, and yet we're still told to put on this breastplate of righteousness, all right? So if I can have my kids come over. All four of you are over here, I think, yeah. I'm not gonna embarrass you, come on. Yeah, my Jacob. They're like, come on, Dad. I do get permission from them before I share a testimony about them or use them in an illustration, and though. Not a, a lot of you are pastors out there. You should do the same if you're gonna to talk to a friend about a testimony in your house or use them as an example so you never embarrass them. They never feel like they're an object of uh, somebody else's enjoyment. Even though I just called them up here. All right, let me get that. Cool, okay. So my wife is over at Super Church, and she'd be up here with me. So these are my four children. I love them to death. They're wonderful. They all know Jesus. Can't ask for anything better than that. The moment they were born... They were my child. It's a bloodline thing. They're never going to cease being my children. Does that make sense? So positionally, they are the children of Curt and Charisse. Nobody can ever change that. However, throughout their life, there is an expectation that they live as our children also, that they're following the rules, the laws, and so on that we set forth in our house. Now, if they would decide to go wayward and rebel and do their own thing, they will never stop being my children. I would be grieved over it and I would love them and we would pray for them and we would pursue them just like the Father pursues us, but they would never stop being my children. But Sharice and I do believe if they would rebel and turn away from us who God has placed over them as a covering, that they wouldn't be able to fulfill the destiny that God has for them. Does that make sense? So there's a position of they are my children, but there's an expectation that they still live as who we call the J crew, and they still live out certain values. They represent themselves well, Jesus well, and the Jenkins family well when they're out and about. So that's the tension that we have in the Christian life. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Love you. So there, there's, there's a position and there's a walking out that we need to be able to merge. So we're not just being legalistic, we're not just trying to follow a whole bunch of rules, we actually know, out of my righteousness that you've given me, Father, I want to live righteously. Out of all this forgiveness you've given me and all this freedom that you've given me, I actually wanna be able to walk in that and not be tortured by the enemy because I'm choosing to walk away from what God has from me. So back to the soul, spirit, and body. I love how Paul puts this here because it's the spirit, the soul, and the body. Most people get it exactly backwards in order of importance. We would say, whatever our body yearns for, we're gonna fill it up with it. And out of that, our soul is gonna feel a certain way. We're gonna have emotions. Then we're gonna allow our emotions to dictate what our spirit does. And that's exactly backwards. We are supposed to be dictated by the Holy Spirit through our spirit man. And out of that, our emotions are kept in check. And then out of that, our body follows through with obeying what the Holy Spirit originally told our spirit to do. Very quick background. Our body relates to the world. That's our five senses. Our body was made from the dust and it will return to the dust. Medical professionals have found that the makeup of our body is what the makeup of the dirt, the soil is. It's the, 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 the nutrients, vitamins, minerals, all that kind of stuff is in us. It's because that's where we were made from. We get so worried about this thing, and this is our tent. This is temporary. We get this 60, 70, 80, 90, if you're you know, fortunate in 100, 110 years, whatever. And then it's gone. We spend so much time consumed with how our body looks. Not that we shouldn't be healthy. I'm not saying that. We spend so much time consumed with how our body looks, and yet it is temporary. It is a tent in which our soul and our spirit dwell in. Second part of the time about is soul here. Soul is our self-consciousness. It's who we really are. It's our temperament. It's how we relate to other people. So it's our mind. It's our will. It's our emotions. It's also the spiritual gifts They've given us our personality. It's the real us. As people get to know you and they say, I feel like I really know that person, they're getting to know your soul. They're not getting to know your body. Yet how many times do do you see people in this life getting to know each other's bodies so quickly and you see how far they get away from God's intention for their life? Most importantly, as the spirit relates to God, your spirit relates to God in the spirit realm. This is your discernment. This is your conscience. This is your moral compass, your intuition. This is where you receive revelation and communication and fellowship with God. All right? So the reason why I'm saying these things is because we have to understand when we're born again, it's our spirit that is regenerated. You'll see here in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. So what we wanna understand is what is the new creation? What is the old? It's our old nature dying. And what is new? It's a new nature. It's a regeneration of our spirit that is now in communion with God. The moment you give your life to Jesus, your body isn't magically healed. It is sometimes, some people, some people have had a radical encounter and your mind isn't automatically healed. Your mind is a part of your soul. So you, watch this. If you have a born-again experience, the devil now knows you're a child of God through the confession of your faith. Maybe he, you know, he's watching and discerning your actions. He's hearing your words. So now he can't rip you out of heaven. All right? So what he can do is attack your soul over and over and over again, at times your body as well. But if we don't have the breastplate of righteousness on, it would be like being in a battle where you get an arrow in one of your organs and something else in your spleen, something else in your stomach until you're too weak and then you just get stabbed right in your heart. That's what happens to believers when they don't have the breastplate of righteousness on. All right? So One decision that we make for Jesus is all about our destination. That's heaven, the new Jerusalem one day. The other decision, the breastplate of righteousness, is about our destiny. It's about being fruitful and fulfilled here on earth so that we can see his kingdom come, his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God does not want us to waste our lives here or waste our time once we've given our life to Jesus. Amen. So there is a battle for our soul. There's a battle for our thoughts. There's a battle for the will that God has given us. It's the the most awesome gift that we've been given is free will. It's also the most dangerous thing for a creator to give to somebody. You get to choose to do anything that you want. And he comes and he renews our spirit. Then there's a command in scripture to renew our mind. In fact, the scripture says to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So the devil wants to attack our emotions. He wants to attack our character. He wants to attack our personality. If you've ever seen somebody that's been caught and in teenagers, you'd be able to relate to this too. If there's a, if there's one of your friends that get caught in a specific sin or a specific lifestyle, you might have said this before, even for adults. You may have said this before. I don't even know who they are anymore. Right? Like they're the same person, but they are caught in one little sin, and it's drugged them away all to the point where they don't act like who they are anymore. They don't talk like who they are. That's because their soul has been perverted. Their soul's being abused over and over again because they don't have the breastplate of righteousness covering their heart. There's a great picture that I just read a few days ago. I wasn't planning on preaching it, but I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I just want to read these verses to you and the correlation that I believe it has for having that breastplate on, for living a righteous life, even though we are in a position of righteousness. The scriptures aren't gonna be up on the screen. I'm reading out of a little bit older of a translation of the NIV. So we see in Deuteronomy chapter seven, uh, the Lord is giving Moses instructions on what to do when he, they advance, when the Israelites advance into enemy territory. So if you, you, you have to make the correlation enemy, the physical enemy in the Old Testament can be compared to a spiritual enemy in the New Testament. So when you see God like destroying enemy nations in the Old Testament, he's not trying to get you to do that in the New Testament. It's a spiritual battle and a spiritual enemy that he wants you to destroy. But I want you to see what he's, he's telling them to do here. So verse seven, I'm gonna read uh, six verses here intermittently. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you the many nations. So I want you to just see this first phrase here. Who's doing this? It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, it is God who is bringing you into new seasons. It's God who brings you into new territory in your life, whether it's uh, increased sales because you're operating with integrity, whether it's the friendship group that he expands because you're being honorable to other people, whatever it is, it's the Lord who's bringing it in. We are not supposed to be building our resumes here on this earth, right? We should be living life righteously and let the Lord establish our feet. So it says here, uh, it says that he drives out. So it's the Lord bringing us into the land and it's the Lord driving out before us many nations. Now, I do not believe this. We know that it wasn't physical because the Israelites still had a role in this. But what the Lord's doing When we are born again, the New Testament translation of this is, he's gonna bring us into new territories. The enemy will attack to try to squelch that victory or try to squelch that area, but he's giving us grace to overcome the enemy. He's giving us grace to say no to the temptation. He's giving us grace to get out of the addiction, the sin habit, whatever it is. It's the grace of God. So he begins to name these seven nations, the Hittites, Gergashites, and so on. In verse, uh, it says, seven nations larger and stronger than you. How many of you know without the Holy Spirit, we cannot take on the enemy? Right? Their calculations and what they've been doing for thousands of years, they'll outsmart us without the Lord. It says, when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you, watch what's happening here. God is going to give you strategies, clarity, maybe dreams at night, maybe angelic visions. He's going to give you ways that he's saying, I'm handing your enemy over to you. That enemy might be a demonic attack or it might be a way to pray for sickness. It might be something in your lifestyle that you know you need to get rid of. He's gonna give you clarity. He's gonna hand you the answer to that problem so you're not wondering for years, God, how do I get over this mess? Now watch what he says to do. When the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, you must destroy them totally. Some translations say completely destroy them. This is where we go wrong, is that we still have sin in our life, we still have some attacks and so on, and we identify this thing and we get rid of it for a week or we get rid of it for a month, but we don't completely annihilate that thing. So it continues to nag and nag and nag, and we can watch years, if not decades go by, where we're struggling with the same issue in our life, the same attack, because it hasn't been completely destroyed. And guess what? We're not supposed to know all the answers. That's why we go back to the Lord. Say, God, if you have given me armor to put on, I'm putting on my breastplate of righteousness, I am righteous in you, and I wanna live righteously. Show me what the attack is of the enemy. Show me what the answer is so I can step forth in victory and can completely destroy it, amen? Now watch what he's saying to do here. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. You know what a treaty is? A treaty is coming into an agreement thinking that it's going to work out. You go into an enemy territory, completely obliterate them, but then there's a few left. You say, you know what? We'll make a treaty with you. We have hope that this is gonna work out. We do that with sin. I believe we do that with the enemy. We, make, we, make, we would say, oh, I've never signed a treaty with the enemy. That's foolishness. No, you've made an agreement thinking it's gonna work out to look at it just a little bit. It's gonna work out to listen to just a little bit of music with profanity in it. It's gonna work out to take just a few shots of liquor. It's gonna work out to look at a girl in, in you know, a little bit of clothes because it's not totally naked. So it's not considered porn. This is what I believe. We're making treaties with the enemy. We're, making, we're coming into an agreement with his worst strategy, thinking it's gonna work out and it's not gonna work out. God told them to take have, show no mercy whatsoever. So when I say there's an enemy out there who hates you, I'm not doing it for fear. I'm doing it for reality. He wants to destroy your soul. And playing with a little bit of sin isn't gonna work. It's a treaty with the enemy. In fact, if you go to James chapter one, with me, this is what happens. James chapter one, verse 13. It says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. So we have to quit blaming God when we're walking in these seasons. He's there to help us. He's there to help you. Even if you feel like you're in a wilderness season and he's not speaking, that probably means he's already taught you what you need to know. He's stepped back, not to be far away from you. He's just stepped back his voice a little bit and he's saying, go ahead and do it, my son. Go ahead and do it, my daughter. You have everything that you need. We wonder where he is. No, he's taught you everything you need for that season, but he's never left you. We gotta stop blaming him. It says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Now watch what happens here. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So we will receive temptation, whether it's by acts of our own flesh, like our own desire. It's like our old man trying to be resurrected, right? Our old nature's dead, but we still have the flesh that desires things. It could be the world and the systems we live in, or it could be the enemy himself tempting us. What happens is when we're tempted, what happens is a desire is conceived. So you think about it long enough and now there's a desire there to actually do it. So that desire gives birth to sin where you're actually either dwelling on it so much in your mind it's now a sinful thought or you're actually partaking in it in sinful action though you are still holy before the Lord. It's a tension that we live in that should get us out of sin quickly. It says, and sin when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. And that's why we see situations, good, solid Christians that we say, I I, I feel like I don't even know them anymore. Their soul has been so abused and so perverted and it started with a treaty. It started with an agreement with the enemy that just a little bit of this is gonna be okay and a little bit of it's never okay. What the enemy's trying to do is give birth to a desire that gives birth to sin, that wants sin fully grown, wants to destroy you. And I'll finish up these next couple uh, verses here in, back in Deuteronomy 7. Adam, you can come, come up. In verse three, it says this. Do not intermarry with them. So this is this is... Practical instruction when the Israelites go into their promised land, the spirit filled life, that they are to not intermarry, right? Completely destroy your enemy. Those would be the men at the age of war that could fight. The women are still left behind. The children are back there. They're saying, do not intermarry with them. It also says, do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods and the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. What this is a warning of is being unequally yoked. And I think the, 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 the implications are far greater than just marriage. It's friends, listen, when some of you decide to put the, the, the breastplate of righteousness on and start living the, the righteousness out that you already are in the Father, some of your friends are not going to be cool with that. High schoolers, middle schoolers, listen to that. Some of your friends won't like that. You know why? Because it makes them uncomfortable. Their own sinful patterns and lifestyles, their own selfishness, all the stuff they're caught up in is exposed whenever you're no longer partnering with them. You're starting to walk in righteousness. And like, I don't like how this makes me feel. They'll say, you're judging me, you're this. No, 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 I'm not. I'm walking the way that God has for me. Some of you, listen, I know we're on this earth to minister to the lost and so on, but in this season, the Lord is calling some of you to break relationship with friends, break certain relationships. This is not rocket science. Go to the Lord tonight and ask him, who should I not be hanging out with during this season? It's the people that when you're with them, you end up at a bar. High schoolers, maybe when you're with them, you end up watching stuff you shouldn't be watching. Whatever it is, I'm not just nailing a few different sins. I'm I'm not even trying to focus on that. I'm saying, you ask the Lord, as I apply, as you strap on the leather straps of this breastplate of righteousness, who should I not hang out with in this season? Wait until you're strong in the Lord, then they will send them back to minister to that person. No need for missionary dating, by the way, either, youth. Missionary dating is, a, is an approach that you, you date somebody who's far from the Lord because you think they're really, really pretty. But I'll win them to the Lord. Now it does happen. Actually, there's testimonies in this church that, that is true, but I wouldn't make it a, an active practice. I've already told my daughter, I'm gonna ask people certain questions, right? I told, I, I told my kids, I'm gonna ask them the three questions that we asked before water baptism. Have you sinned and fallen short of glory? Have you turned away from God? You know, all that stuff. I didn't get permission to say that, but it's a good question. So when you intermarry, when you come into covenant with somebody else, when you're in relationship, when you have a tie to their soul and your soul, they can drag you away and you don't even know it. Same thing, you watch somebody start to date somebody else, you're like, I don't even know them anymore. They're tied. It's called soul. They're tied to the soul of another person. They're dragging them away. The enemy's laughing the entire time. Verse five. This is what you are to do to them. This is what this is what they were supposed to do to their enemy. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. So let's walk through this quickly. First, they're supposed to break down their altars. What's an altar? It's a place of self, it's a place of sacrificing something. So when you think of what you sacrifice your time to do, if it's not lining up with the righteousness of the Lord, you're creating an altar out of that. That could be TV for hours at night. It could be hanging out with the wrong people. It could be a lifestyle. It could it could be coveting something that your neighbor has. Right? It could just be in your heart. You sacrifice so much of your time and your thoughts because you really want that house, you really want that boat, you really want that girl, you really want whatever. We gotta get real with ourselves. Strap that, strap that breastplate on. Let the Lord reveal those things to get you set free from them. So we're supposed to break down these altars. We're supposed to smash sacred stones. These sacred stones were like memorials. So they told of the old days. Unfortunately, these people were following false gods. So when they look at these sacred stones, they remember what their false gods used to do for them. And I honestly think there are believers that still have their sacred stones set up from their pre-Christian days. In fact, the Lord revealed something to me. The other, uh, actually when I was praying about this, I feel like one of the things that the devil tries to do is on Facebook or on social media, he'll try to connect you with ex-girlfriends or boyfriends from high school, and what it does, when you see their posts, you see their face, it sets up that stone in your heart. And you're thinking about how it used to be the good old days before you were married, before you had kids. It's a lie from the pit of hell. So if you say, oh, those, these were the good old, I mean, I just wish I was back in college when you can well, Think about the things you were doing in college. Maybe, the, maybe you don't wanna go back there. So it's, he, he's telling us to smash our sacred stones. And let the Lord build new memorials for us. Cut down their Asherah poles. These were poles that were built into the image of the goddess Asherah. She was known to be the goddess of love and of war. So what does the enemy do to this? This is an image. These are images of sensuality and images of violence. These are idols that we've put up in our life, folks. Think about how much TV, Adam spoke about it last week, how many movies, television shows, and music is all about one of two things, sensuality, perverting what God created for intimacy between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and violence. It's just a game. No, they're blowing each other's heads off. That's not just a game. These are images coming into your eyes, into your soul. It's like saying you have this breastplate on, let's just cut an entire part out and remove it, the the section from your heart. You let all these things in. And they're saying this, cut down those poles, get rid of the images of sensuality and violence in your life. He says, burn their idols in the fire, meaning they'll be melted and completely destroyed. An idol in your life is simply anything that takes your attention away from the father. Anything that takes your affection and attention away from focusing on what the Lord does. I'm going to watch the Steelers later, and I might not be thinking about worship at that moment, but the Steelers aren't taking me away from. Like, see, some of you take it so far, like, so you expected me to think about God 24-7, right? Well, even in that, you can have good conversations, wholesome conversations. You could turn the commercials off when they're inappropriate. You could do things that will honor God even while you're relaxing. And you can ask the Lord, are there any idols in my life? And if they are, put them under the fire of God and let Him purify and refine you. I want you to stand at this time. I just want to read this this verse over your lives. The Lord says this through Moses to the people. This is why he wants the enemies completely destroyed in your life. He says this, for you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of this earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Now we know he was speaking specifically to the Israelites. However, we do know when Jesus came and died, we are all welcomed into that nation. So receive this as words over your life. He wants you to completely destroy the enemies and the struggles in your life for this reason. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of this earth to be his people, his treasured possession. What I wanna do quickly, 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 I I want our youth, if you can just come up here I'm not going to have you do Our youth, come up here, please, please, please. And our young adults, if you can come up here. I just want you guys to face out. You can close your eyes or whatever. I want us just to spend like three minutes praying over these people. The statistics are astounding of what happens when people leave high school and they go to college and they go away. How quickly, how quickly these people who think they're strong in the Lord fall away. And I honestly believe it's because the breastplate's not on. They don't, they don't have their heart and their soul protected. And the young adults to be able to stay strong in this. All right. So we're church family. This is what I want to do. I want to pray out loud as the Lord leads you, okay? I'm going to pray without my mic on or with my mic on for a little bit. I'll take it off. So I just want to spend two, three minutes just praying over them. If you feel led, uh, if you're a member, we'll at least put it that way. If you're a member of the church and you feel led to come up, lay your hands on them. Come on up, lay your hands on them. Let's pray. Come on, pray out loud with me. Father, we just thank you so much. You've made it clear. You want us to have authority over the enemy and you want us to be secure in our walk with you. So Father, right now in Jesus' mighty name, come on, you guys can come up and lay your hands on them. Don't be shy. In Jesus' name, we just pray, Father, for righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. Father, from the youngest child that's here to the oldest young adult, God, we just pray pray for that righteousness in Jesus' mighty name. God, I pray that you would teach them, train them, God, how to put on this breastplate of righteousness. God, that they would be able to completely destroy with no evidence that the enemy was ever even here, they'd be able to completely destroy any attack and any evidence that the enemy was on the offense in their lives. God, we just rebuke right now. We rebuke an addiction to pornography. We rebuke an addiction to to evil games, God, with the blood and the guts and the gore. And Father, we declare righteousness, righteousness, righteousness in Jesus' mighty name. We declare the righteousness of God over each and every young person here today. Father, I pray that you'd give them boldness to even talk to their parents. Give them boldness to talk to you. Give them boldness to talk to somebody they trust, God, that can encourage them and lift them up, Heavenly Father. We thank you, God, that you have destiny over each one of their lives, that you have promises over each one of their lives, and we curse the work of the enemy over their lives in Jesus' name. We curse the work of the enemy over their lives in Jesus' mighty name. And we ask Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Holy Spirit, come. And have your way in fact father i pray that you would take that taste out of their soul take that that liking for the images for the movies even addiction to social media god take that taste out of their soul that they no longer desire that everything can be happening in their life in balance and in good order father you will lead them and guide them god you'll take those desires out of their life even right now in Jesus' name, that you would raise up a generation of warriors for Jesus Christ, that not one of these youth would fall away from the Lord, not one day of their life. Give them a keeping power and a staying power, God, that every single graduate out of here, out of high school or college, would be able to say, I am walking with the Lord every day of my life, and I am destroying completely what the enemy is trying to do in my life through a work of the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray for the young adults that are up here. God, give them more and more confidence that they can make an influence and an impact for your kingdom right now. They don't need to wait until they have a better job or a spouse, that you are activating them now for the ministry, that they can do good and that they can change the world even now. We thank you for it. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Just like a child dedication, we dedicate these young people to you. We dedicate them to you, God. Father, that you would even use their lives to teach teach us adults how to strap on that breastplate just a little bit tighter. Let them live lives of righteousness in such a way, God, that they'd be a great example to us and to those kids who are in Super Church today, in the nursery, in the preschool. Father, we bless them we commit them and their lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Can you say amen. amen? Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out at centralconnect.org.